This is part two of Second Thessalonians 2, 6-8. And now what is restraining, namely the man of lawlessness, you know, so that he may be revealed in his time. It is the time that God has sovereignly appointed for him, not before, not after. God is in control. For the mystery of lawlessness is already working. But, I'm paraphrasing now, this inner dynamic of history that we'll find more about in what's coming is not in itself carrying the day. But, he who now restrains will do so until he's out of the way. So the mystery of lawlessness, even though it's already working, isn't decisive in deciding when the man of lawlessness appears. It's making it already. It's setting the stage. But what decides is the restrainer being removed out of the way, and that's God's doing because his time is appointed by God. Now, and then, when all divine restraints, however they are exerted, are removed, the lawless one, he's called the man of lawlessness here in verse 3, and here he's called the lawless one, the embodiment of the mystery of lawlessness. This is breaking out everywhere, but here comes one who in his very essence is, in his own mind, above all law. He defines his own nature. He defines his own truth. He defines his own virtue. He defines his own destiny. He declares himself to be God. He seats himself in the very temple of God. He is utterly above law in his own mind, and he writes all law for him own, his own self. He appears at last. He is revealed. Revealed. The man of lawlessness is revealed. Three times this word reveal is used, and you can't help but get the impression that this is intended to say he really is an anti-Christ, a substitute Christ, because back in chapter 1, the Lord Jesus Christ will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire. And here it is the man of lawlessness who is revealed, revealed. So he is being set up as a kind of counter-Christ. And we'll see what happens. Notice grammatically, there's not even a break between his appearance and his death. And then the lawless one will be revealed. Relative clause. Whom the Lord Jesus will kill. He appears, bang, he's dead. Now something will happen here. You can read about that elsewhere in the New Testament. But Paul doesn't intend to give any attention to it. He intends to say he's as good as dead as soon as he's on the scene because this is the Lord, Jesus. He will kill him with 
the breath of his mouth, or the same word is spirit of his mouth, and bring to nothing, he'll bring him to nothing by the appearance of his coming. So, breath of his mouth, appearance of his coming. Why do you think both? Why, do you, why didn't he just settle for, he'll kill him by the breath of his mouth, period? Why add, and he'll bring him to nothing by the appearance of his coming? What's the difference between kill and bring to nothing? Is anything added or is it just repetition? Somebody can die and in a sense keep on having an effect, a damaging effect. Perhaps Paul means he takes his life and he ends his effectiveness. He takes his life with the breath of his mouth. He ends his effectiveness with the appearance of his coming. And I put the Greek here of appearance because I wanted us to see how it's used elsewhere. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead by the appearing, same word, of his, by his appearing and his kingdom. So his appearing is going to be the appearing with his kingly reign in 2 Timothy 4, or here's Titus 2, 13. We are waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good deeds, which is the opposite of lawlessness. So perhaps here the idea is breath of his mouth is where you speak truth and appearance, it said, of glory would be beauty. Now, I could have put glory there, but notice the two different focuses. The breath of the mouth could be a word of truth. One little word will fail him. And then besides what he speaks is the way he looks, what he appears. So he's going to be killed by a snap of his finger, or better, a word of his mouth. And he's going to be nullified by glory. Glory will absolutely undo the effectiveness of the man of lawlessness. Here's an interesting correlation that I passed over. Let me come back to it. In Acts 2.23, Peter said, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed. That's the same word as in 2 Timothy 2. You killed by the hands of lawless men. So you, you get the impression when you look at the correlation there of lawlessness rose to its mysterious height, as it were, in killing the Son of Man. And now Jesus is returning and it will all be reversed. 
Jesus will kill the man of lawlessness, the embodiment. They thought they had finished him off. They hadn't. He is alive and well, and he will come at the appointed time. And in the blink of an eye, he will, by his word and his glory, bring to nothing the man of lawlessness. Now, a question that comes that we'll perhaps tackle as we move to the next section is why does God arrange history like this? Why have such an outbreak of lawlessness at the end? Because he clearly is under God's sovereignty. God doesn't have to let this man appear. This is all part of a plan. Why would that be? What, what does it show of the glory of God, and the truth of Christ, that this lawless one appears and that there's this mystery of lawlessness that leads to his appearance? I think what we're going to see in the next section is that now that he's dead, Paul is going to back up, sort of stop the camera, rewind it, and talk now about this mystery of lawlessness that leads to the appearance of the man of lawlessness. So it starts, the coming of the lawless one is by the working of Satan. So you see, he's going back now in verse 9. He's going back because he just he was just dead in verse 8. So he's starting over again to explain some things, and maybe we'll get some insight in this final section about why. Why would there need to be a mystery of lawlessness and a lawless one? In fact, I think this section here is just about as rich as it gets for the way our hearts should be functioning in faith and obedience in relationship to Christ and the mystery of lawlessness. Father, I pray that as we close now, you would make Jesus Christ great in our eyes, that with one word, he can end the man of lawlessness with the appearance of the glory of his beauty. Every evil is nullified. Cause us to stand in awe of him, I pray. In his name, amen.